Hello, this is episode 33 of the podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Dane. To pinpoint the time in which someone truly transforms not only opens up the commentary and debate within one's own mind and in conversation with others regarding whether these transformations are linear, sudden, discrete, and or gradual, but leaves a wide open rabbit hole regarding the measurement of time itself. To very simply explain humanity's relationship with time, we have to understand that time is a different dimension than our own dimension as humans. Humanity lives in the third dimension. To briefly measure the third dimension and visualize high school mathematics, we have an X, a Y, and a Z axis, in parentheses, length, width, and height. The raw dimensions we have at our disposal. The fourth dimension, when getting into higher level mathematics, is on the T scale for time. However, the fourth dimension lends itself to a world on a higher plane than our own. So many physicists have hypothesized that a perspective of the fourth dimension of, or time, is ultimately incorrect. That basically, since we live in a three-dimensional world, we don't have the eyes or understanding of the next dimension up and how it actually functions. I first came across this in my journey as a Christian. Many evangelicals, Catholics, and Orthodox Christians alike have all discussed how God is not bound by time, as he has created time. So therefore, God can have time happen all at once and be in all places and at all times, in quotes. For any agnostic and atheist reader, the, this explanation is simply listed to break down my history of research and is by no means a method in which I am explaining time. Time, however, as theorized by many physicists, is not as linear as we perceived it to be. We have measured the way in which we perceive time and, in quotes, aging by revolutions around the sun, the 24 hours in a day, the 60 minutes per hour, and the 60 seconds per minute. However, the way in which we experience time from the grounded physical standpoint is a way in which we're able to measure our three-dimensional perspective of time in and not the fourth dimension itself that is time. So when we think we have a grasp on time itself, we don't actually have any grasp at all, only a grasp on what we're able to perceive in this physical plane. However, when it comes to the mind and consciousness, we are far more capable of understanding the fourth dimension as nothing physical needs to attempt to make a transition in a realm of the fourth dimension. Theoretical physicists discussing the world of quantum physics, archaeologists, and students of ancient civilizations alike have pointed to a quickly growing concept and likely reality that our minds are the key to traversing time and space, that since consciousness requires no physical encapsulation to be effective. Good afternoon, all. That was an excerpt from a recently released essay or article titled London Ray Books Article 5 Quantified Transformation Part 2 Time Undefined Now you'll notice that we don't have our typical rain track because I wanted to do something a little different today You've heard me dance around this topic um, whether you realize it or not that change and time are anywhere near as linear as we might think. And before people start throwing science at me, um, this is what a lot of quantum and theoretical physicists are starting to uncover. Uh, they're starting to basically get under the hood of truths that ancient civilizations knew. That time doesn't happen on a linear scale that once we shake the 
three-dimensional encapsulation of our bodies, then we can actually go beyond that we have the capability of connecting to something higher, to achieving higher states of consciousness, and therefore achieving great feats such as telepathy, long-range telepathy, changing ourselves all at once as opposed to gradually. And it has to do with our thoughts themselves. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard of the term the pineal gland, and it's not really much of a term at all. Um, it's, it's a gland in the brain that, you know, so far, you know, confirmed in science, uh, regulates the secretion of melatonin and serotonin. So basically, your on-off switch for day and nighttime. Let's, let's put putting that very, very simply. But what we're uncovering with the pineal gland is that there is not only water in there, but there's tiny little crystals, and these crystals can pick up an electric charge. Now, if you listen to the podcast with the grounded athlete uh, all the way through, you'll have learned that we are electrical beings as well. And that if we can pick up the right charge or the matrix of our body, as Rob very eloquently and effectively explained, we can actually unlock the key to the universe within ourselves. This is a fascinating prospect. Now, to the listener, I ask you to bear with me. Um, this is going to be very abstract podcast. I'm going to be throwing a lot of things at you. Um, but this is something that has been wearing on me for some time to speak about and to at least attempt to put into words. Uh, as I did in the essay, I encourage any Blood and Rain book subscribers to go read it. And uh, if you're not a Blood and Rain book subscriber, uh, you should absolutely change that. Um, but I also wanted to discuss it in the podcast as well and try to speak through it because some people are better listeners, some people are better readers, um, they'll pick up different things. So, some of the first concepts that I'm going to be throwing at you, and I'm going to be lacing this with my own personal experience as well. Uh, actually, if you listen to the podcast with Coach Ross Hilliard, uh, the Strength of the Nomad episode of this podcast, I believe that was episode 29, I want to say it was, yeah, it was 29, and Ross Hilliard and I got to the end, we were discussing a time in, well, we were discussing David Goggins, and for those of you who don't know David Goggins, I suggest you get out from under the rock that you're living in, um, David Goggins is a Navy, is an ex-Navy SEAL and Army Ranger. Epitome of Americana, really. Um, but his success story is nothing short of incredible. He, uh, he grew up being beaten uh, along with his mother by his father, who was a gangster in Buffalo, New York. And his mother, uh, he tried fighting his father to protect his mother and got the shit kicked out of him, to be frank. And him and his mother finally, or his mother rather, uh, finally gathered up the courage to take 
young David Goggins and herself out of Buffalo, New York and moved to a place called Brazil, Indiana. And in Brazil, Indiana, uh, David Goggins uh, encountered a lot of racism. Uh, he's a black man. And he mentioned before that while there are many great people in the town of Brazil, Indiana, uh, there are a number of racist entities, the KKK, marched in their 4th of July parade in the 1990s. Uh, to give you an idea. For those of you who don't know, the KKK was actually founded in the state of Indiana, nowhere in the south. And so he's subject to more torture, really. And he did so indeed. He lost 100 pounds. And he did in a way that was... I mean, you've heard me speak on effective training multiple times, and this is not the way to do it in terms of strategically upping each attribute of physical training. But what he did is he actually forced his body into the, the state of a professional athlete. He forced his body to train six hours a day. If he couldn't run anymore, he would row. If he couldn't row anymore, he would swim. If he couldn't swim anymore, he would jump rope. He did everything it took to be prepared. It's, it's as if he actually shocked his being within three months to be completely someone else. But he talks about how he did just that. He talked about how he actually invented a different person. He said, I'm not David Goggins anymore, I'm Goggins. I'm the type of guy who doesn't quit. I'm the type of guy who perseveres no matter what. He, he talks about a specific frame of watching Rocky. And if you haven't watched Rocky, I don't know what's wrong with you, but okay. Um, but Rocky, he's battling Apollo Creed, and Apollo Creed keeps knocking him down, and Rocky keeps coming at him no matter what for this fight. And you could see this look on Apollo Creed's face that David Goggins talks about, how no matter how much he was beaten down, no matter how much he beat Rocky down, he was never going to stop. And Goggins saw this look on his face, on Apollo Creed's face, as a, uh, the look of a man whose soul had been stolen. He said, Rocky took his soul. And he said, I want to be that. I want to be the guy who, no matter what, no matter what life throws at him, life's not going to take his soul. But it's an interesting phenomenon, how he did re indeed recreate himself in three months. It's kind of incredible, honestly, but I think there's more to take a look at here. David Goggins became someone who would normally take, for, for, for others, it would take years to become. He forced the issue and did it in three months. Now, how did he do this? Well, yeah, there was the physical training, there was the actual weight loss, there's that. But I'm more interested, and not necessarily interested, but I think the key here is how he primed his mind. He told his mind that he would be this, and he never allowed any doubt or fear to be the dominant entity within his being. Now, 
the grounded athlete talked about this. He talked about the matrix. He talked about this electrical core and how if you prime the matrix with thoughts, the proteins in your body will pick up this charge and they will adjust accordingly. They will recreate themselves accordingly. So you can actually recreate your body with your mind. This is a fascinating prospect. And to be honest, it's something I've experienced myself. Now the song playing in the background is, you know, an, uh, a piece of the final song on a Nine Inch Nails EP called Over and Out. And for those of you who listen to episode five, part two, Solstice Self-Betrayal, and any of you who have listened to Addressed Alignment, uh, that episode, I don't remember what episode, episode number that was, I talked about how in the lowest point of my life in Brooklyn, I wandered the city. And I was playing uh, these three Nine Inch Nails EPs on repeat. Uh, as I mentioned before in previous podcasts, the first, not the actual events, the second, Add Violence, and the third, Bad Witch. Now, these three EPs make up an overall concept album that depict a world that is changing for the better, ultimately, but for the worse in the interim. Not the Actual Events is a lashing out at this change for the initial worse. Uh, Add Violence is almost almost kind of like a stage of grief, but somewhat out of order. Uh, is these confrontations of ex- believed external factors that have caused this negative change. And you have depression in there, you have anger, you have denial. Um, the fourth track is denial. Sorry, the fourth track is anger. It's one of the most violent tracks that Nine Inch Nails has ever put out. You can hear the anguish. And the fifth track is called The Background World. I've, met, I've, I've mentioned this before, but for any of you new listeners, uh, here's a brief summary of what you can hear fully about in previous episodes. That this 14-minute fifth song called The Background World is this very interesting dialogue within himself. He initially starts with the words, You left me here, what was I supposed to do? I never dared to look inside, just like you told me to. And it it fast forwards a little bit. And he says, there is no moving past. There is no better place. There is no future point in time. But what's really interesting about the way Reznor sings the song is you can hear in this character that he's playing of this concept album that on, on, the, on, on this three-dimensional world, he believes what he's saying, right? Because the, the proof of the pudding is put in front of him that everything is just getting worse and worse and there's no sign, no literal physical sign of things getting better. Again, he says, there is no moving past, there is no better place, there is no future point in time. But you can hear that viscerally, almost spiritually, he doesn't believe what he's saying. And, again, he says the world is bleeding out, it folds itself into, behind the background world, it's always bleeding through. And he says, are you sure this is what you want? Are you sure this is what you want? 
Are you sure this is what you want? Hard as you try not to see it, are you sure this is what you want? Hard as you try not to see it, are you sure this is what you want? Hard as you try not to see it, are you sure this is what you want? Hard as you try not to see it. And the sound goes into an instrumental. And then it fades into static, and that static carries into the 30p called Bad Witch. And the first track on Bad Witch is called Shit Mirror, basically this acceptance that the vision of the self has, or the vision of the world has been unreliable, that there are there are factors, the external factors bound to this three-dimensional world are the whole picture, and it's this acceptance that the background world is far greater beyond our understanding. So it's this acceptance that we have a shit mirror. The next song further muses on that, song called Ahead of Ourselves, basically saying we got ahead of ourselves and drawing conclusions. And the third track says, well now we must play the goddamn part. We must see our situation through for better or for worse. And have the faith that things will turn out better at the end. And there's this cry for help, the climax of the album, where humanity screams, God break down the door. Yelling, God break down the door, God break down the door, everything all at once, there aren't any answers here, no not anymore. God break down the door, God break down the door, you won't find any answers here, not the ones you came looking for. And you can get the sense of this entrance by divinity and the next instrumental track the fifth track on the EP called I am not of this world and it, it feels like divinity almost cleansing the earth of all of its wrongdoing it's heavy it's very very heavy and on the last track, which is the track you're listening to in the background, over and out, you have this very elevated spiritual state at the end. Like you can tell, like post-cataclysm, post-religious event. That God says, now it's your turn. I am always here. I'm always your God, but as far as this, this plane is concerned, you must do better. For now, over and out, which is a fascinating concept. Now, what's interesting is, and what you can't hear is because I've, I chopped out any lyrics from this background song for the sake of you know you being able to hear me um, but the lyrics for over and out very few are as follows uh, Trent Reznor sings in a very David Bowie-esque way time is running out I don't know what I'm waiting for time is running out I don't know what I'm waiting for time is running out I don't know what I'm waiting for I think this keeps happening 
over and over again. Feel like I've been here before. Over and over again. Am I remembering you correctly? Over and over again. I've always been ten years ahead of you. Over and over again. Now, I walked the streets of New York after being injured, spiritually and physically, listening to all of this, and I, I came upon this, I stayed in a meditative state for a very long time while I was in New York, I spent a lot of time alone, a lot of time alone. Uh, for those of you, again, who have listened to episode 5, part 2, you'll understand why. I uh, was holding out for a job, despite being physically and spiritually injured, and finding out my mentor had stage 4 brain cancer. And I, uh, I was... I left the job preemptively, because that's the way it works in New York, to get a job that would have been six figures. But in the meantime, I was very broke. And I would spend nights just walking around in a meditative state, you know, going in and out of subways from um, West Village, Greenwich Village, uh, the Battery, sorry, the Bowery, Midtown, Brooklyn, Chelsea, Upper East Side, Upper West Side, Hell's Kitchen, so on and so forth, Tribeca, all these neighborhoods, it's popping in and out as I was walking around. Zenovial, when I talked about this on this podcast, uh, it, it kind of talked about the Doomer, and I guess I was embodying that without realizing it at the time. And in this meditation, I started to see an infinity symbol as I was meditating to this music. I saw, I was like, through my meditation, I didn't think about an infinity symbol. An infinity symbol emerged within my mind because I felt I had taken the wrong path. And my understanding of time at, the, at this point in our perception of time was linear. So I was very steadfast on my path. I was sprinting face first towards the end. And I took this detour. I took this ill-advised detour to New York City for all the wrong reasons. But I found that I could come back to center. That this wasn't linear, it is and it isn't. It was a, there was a curvature, there's a figure eight, and it brought me back to center. I took a detour, took the wrong path, but at the same time, it's the right path. And I don't understand how these opposites could, how these opposites could be, but they were just being at the same time. Relaying it back to David Goggins and listeners, uh, I mentioned before, this is going to be all over the place. Uh, not necessarily for the sake of being abstract, but for the sake of making an overall point that I'll get to. And it's not a clearly defined point. It's something you'll visualize at the end. David Goggins forced his body into that state. And while I was, and during this period of time in New York, I received a phone call from a good friend of mine. And he, uh, he, he was speaking to me about what was going on with him. Him and I went to, uh, down very different paths in life. We met at an evangelical church. Uh, I obviously left the evangelical church to become Orthodox, which he fully supported me in. Uh, you could see it was the right move for me. Um, at the time, I was in my green martyrdom phase. 
very, very long time in the Grinton Morgan phase, and it was suiting me. I was growing exponentially. And because a lot of people in the evangelical church were trying to match me up with potential wives, and I was like, I am not ready for this shit. I am not the husband guy. I am not the husband guy. Okay? And he was the husband guy. In fact, that was uh, his best man at his wedding, which was a great honor. It's very stressful being a best man. For those of you who know, it's very stressful. You're shielding the groom from all the nonsense. You were doing all the heavy lifting if you're a good best man. Um, so he called me, and he, he caught it. We were catching up. Then he asked me, uh, while I was still in the Bay Area, how I was getting so little sleep and training like a madman with Muay Thai and working in a bar full time and still gaining a considerable amount of muscle. And I stopped and thought about it. And having just studied chakras, having studied um, the root chakra, which is has to do with presence and survival, the sacral chakra, which has to do with sexual and creative energy, which are actually the same. So for all of you guys struggling with porn and masturbation, you can channel your sexual energy into creation because it's literally the same kind of energy. Uh, solar plexus, which is willpower and getting things done. Uh, the heart chakra, I think that's pretty obvious. The throat chakra, that is communication. The crown chakra, which is, which is the seventh, which is receiving uh, information from divinity. Or just the ether, really. You can receive some bad things if you're not careful. And then there's the sixth chakra, the, the third eye, the pineal gland. And he asked me this question, and I completely hypothesized. And I mentioned this to Ross Hillier, and I, relay, I compared it to David Goggins. I've said, Michael, I don't think I gave my body a choice. That sounds corny as hell. It goes against any sports science that I preach as a trainer, at least when it comes to strength. Um, but I, I believe I just forced my body into that state through thoughts, through actions, and through not allowing my body to do anything but. I had this notion in the back of my head during this period of time that he was speaking about that if I wasn't careful, I would injure myself. But I always seemed to know where the line was. And I always need, seemed to know how to find a loophole around the line, physically. It didn't make any sense uh, in a three-dimensional perspective, but it made sense when we take into account other factors. Now, I need to have this discussion with the grounded athlete again about the matrix in the pineal gland, but having discussed with him and having listened to his material videos about the matrix within the body and priming the matrix of the right thoughts, I can imagine that since the pineal gland has crystals within it that pick up an electrical charge. That electrical charge uh, can have a bi-directional relationship with the matrix and therefore send a charge to the body to adjust accordingly. I think that's what happened. I gained a considerable amount of muscle. I wasn't eating enough. I was always starving. Um, I would be eating 4,000, 5,000 calories but still be starving. Uh, due to training, due to bartending, due to um, writing a lot. Um, and that's how I made that transformation 
Now, I did force my body into that. On my 22nd birthday, I just decided that I wasn't going to give way to any negative thoughts. I wasn't going to give way to any doubt. I was always going to overpower it. I made that decision. Now, where does this go back into the concept of time? Now we're going to relay it to another aspect of training. Pavel Tsatsulin, for those of you who don't know, Pavel Tsatsulin is not only the father of the kettlebell in the Western world, he brought the kettlebell to prominence from the Soviet Union, or Russia as it is now, but he's actually Belarusian. He studied at the greatest sports science school in the world in Minsk, Belarus. He spoke about how not only did he bring the kettlebell, he brought all the principles of training. He was teaching the Western world all the principles of training. Now, he was my gateway drug into reading a bunch of Soviet Union sports scientists who were just absolutely brilliant. But he said something interesting in one interview. He said, changes in nature are not gradual. We know this about the human body. We think that we often make this mistake in getting too wrapped up in a training program. I know I have, especially with Western programs. By this week, I should be able to lift this much. And uh, if, if, if you know if I can't lift, if I can't deadlift 600 by week four, then uh, you know the, the program isn't working. We got we got a you know axe program. And American uh, coaches will tell you something like, well, maybe you didn't eat enough, or maybe you're stressed, or maybe you didn't get enough sleep, or they'll, they'll throw all of these other factors that don't have to do with the training and don't have to do with the adaptations itself directly and completely. They do have something to do with it, but not everything. But he said something really interesting, that changes are not gradual, but they're sudden and discreet. Meaning, when it comes to the training world, that, that essentially we're not going to change in a measured linear time like we know we know over time if we continue doing the program we're always going to make results people who have done my programs have made results programs that have been assigned to me have given me great results but i don't when someone tries to quantify every little change and every movement try to see a greater result let's say in a mile time, say, in uh, output for punches thrown in a minute, let's say in a one rep maximum, or a working working weight for a bodybuilder training regimen. These changes don't actually gradually happen like we think they do. The changes actually need to be primed for a period of time. And typically the jump isn't always measurable. You see this as a problem with a lot of Western powerlifting programs. I'll give you a calculator for how much you should be able to add to your deadlift per year or your bench press per six months or whatnot. 
And a lot of the times when people follow those programs, they get a bit psyched out about that. The, the psychological effect of quantifying where the growth will be actually inhibits them from growing, even though they have the mathematics laid out for them. It's never, it never relaxes the athlete. When, and this is borrowing something from various texts about swordplay, you know, Habakure, obviously the Book of Five Rings, they, all the masters talk about how there's this point after they master the basics and they master the true foundation of swordplay that the room for growth potential is actually almost infinite and it becomes somewhat of like this black pill for them that they don't know this great unknown. They don't, they don't understand this void. They have no way of measuring it. They can only go face first. What's interesting about a lot of Soviet weightlifting methodology is you have two kinds. You have the step loading, which basically you take a weight that's not so difficult that you have some kind of psychosis and thinking about having to lift it every day, but not so easy that it's boring. It's, it's, a, it's a fair amount of weight, and you lift it till it's easier and easier and easier and easier until it's essentially not that big a deal, and you make, so in some cases, a 50-pound jump. With this this method of step loading, it's a very stable way of getting of getting strong, a very stable way of gaining strength, um, because you're actually giving the body more time, quote unquote, to adapt. You're actually telling the body, you're telling the matrix in the body, we can lift this weight now. A lot of the problems, a lot of cycling programs that you see in the Western world, you know, where it's like, all right, we have this week and then this week and then this week and then we peak it this week and then we go back down, is they're not actually spending enough time in the mid-range. They're not spending, spending enough time at the 80% range of what they're capable of. And pressing that 80% range has this incredible ripple effect for what they're capable of in the wonder at maximum down the line. The Soviets did this combination of step loading and eventually the Soviet weightlifting system where they were constantly pressing the central nervous system for with weights that it was about 50% to 80% of the one or maximum. They're always working in those weights. And this methodology would have them stress the central nervous system just to the point where it doesn't need an absurd amount of recovery. So you don't have to cycle back down. You don't have this come down from getting strong. You have this constant way of getting strong. It's very similar to step loading, but it's actually a bit more surgical and a bit more effective than step loading. Because instead of making these blocky jumps, it's just this diagonal straight line up. What's interesting about that is the body's always constantly primed, constantly primed to get strong. You're telling the matrix, I can do this. You're telling the matrix, I'm capable of lifting this weight telling the matrix that this weight is now easy so the body's capability actually becomes much greater and while many of you will probably then say to me Arthur you know the Soviets and the East Germans they're on all kinds of steroids well I hate to break it to you but a lot of weightlifting athletes are still on steroids and that includes the Olympics there's always new ways to get around PED checks the same thing goes for the UFC, although the UFC is pretty good about sniffing it out if your name isn't John Jones. Um, and 
Soviet Union still leads the world in Olympic medals. And they haven't existed as a country for 30 years now. So that really says it all to so the effectiveness of this training. The purpose of this podcast, however, is not to sell you on Soviet weightlifting methodology. The purpose of this podcast is to explain to you that time, our construct of time, gives us a massive blind spot towards a realm of transformation, towards true transformation. Transformation, which is sort of highlighting the ironic misnomer of the name of the article to begin with. Maybe it's one of two parts, but the name of the two parts of articles is quantified transformation. But again, transformation can't actually be quantified because we can't quantify time properly. And transformation happens over true time, which is not linear. So therefore, we cannot quantify transformation. It's a bold statement but it's something that I meditated on for some time. What we can do for transformation, if we truly want to change, physically, mentally, spiritually, we want to change our being, we want to change identity. There's that old Socrates quote, one mustn't focus on destroying the old but creating the new I'm paraphrasing but I think the inverse is equally as accurate I think if one destroys the old destroys the bad in tandem with creating the new that is a very compounding effect for change it's very simple I use the example of an attendance card now The reason I'm starting to use examples of our linear perception of time is because we can't fully grasp time itself, we can't fully grasp change itself, we can't grasp transformation itself. But what we can do is we can cover all our bases with our linear understanding of time, so that way Our thoughts, our actions, our prayers, our words aren't out of alignment. And therefore, we can wholeheartedly, in every ounce of our being, change. If you delete the thoughts from your mind, or at the very least overpower them of doubt, of bad habits, fear of trauma destroy them and replace them with something else but not there's a difference not putting them in the back of your mind shoved away like you're sweeping the mess you made under the under the couch sweeping under the rug so your parents don't see that something different but deliberately staring all of your vices your weaknesses in the face and saying I renounce you I destroy you and replacing them with a positive, replacing them with something else, replacing them with something that is a component of the person that you are becoming, the person that you will become. We can use time on our side. We can use time 
the truth of time to transform wholeheartedly. I'm going to use another example. I'm going to use training as another example, and I'm going to use scheduling as an example, and I'm going to talk about presence. There are two people in the history of the world of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu who have received a black belt in three years. Now, there's a caveat to this. I know some of you from the judo world are going to tell me about Travis Stevens. However, Travis Stevens was a judo black belt who had some intensive training from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, some of the best in the world, and did in about a year and two-thirds, I want to say, so a year and eight, uh, yeah, a year and eight months. But there was already a lot of, a lot of crossover in his judo practice, jiu-jitsu, so we're not going to count that. We're going to talk about true blank canvases and grappling. There are two guys who achieved the black belt in three years. One's BJ Penn. I do not have any insight as to how he trained. I do, however, have insight to the other. His name is Kyo Terra. He is a either a 10 or 11 time world champion in his weight class. That I don't know. It's certainly one or the other. And, <coughs> excuse me. Kyle Terra was at a pretty renowned gym in Brazil. And due to some drama, he was forced to leave that gym. And he was doing very well, but he was also restricted to the confines of the schedule of his gym. So, what happened with that is his thoughts can only be on jujitsu for so much. Then he was kicked out of this gym, like I mentioned before, and he was forced to train on his own. So he put mats in his house, and even when he was training alone, he was working on true fundamentals and he was visualizing his moves, his style, his strategy as a jiu-jitsu athlete, as a true martial artist. But people started to catch wind that Kyle had mats in his house. So a lot of jiu-jitsu practitioners went to Kyle's house to train. People would come to Kyle's house at all hours of the day and all hours of the night to train. And Kyle never said no. So what happened was, Kyle was constantly training. Jiu-jitsu was constantly in his mind. The feel of it was constantly in his mind. And it never left his mind, so the development accelerated. You know, Epoch Rising put out some posts about transformation today that I suggest you go take a look at. Shout out to him. Uh, him and I have a lot of divine timing that seems to be coming together. So, again, shout out to you, brother. You and I have discussed this before. But if you want to truly transform, you're going to need to fill your mind with nothing but the correct thoughts. You're going to need to fill your mind with nothing but the correct courses of action. You're going to need to fill your body with nothing but the correct muscle memory. You're going to need to fill your, your mouth. Your words are going to need, need to consist of nothing that is antithetical with your truth. Now, of course, this is in a certain moral framework. I'm not... Some of you are, feel the truth of trying to be a serial killer. That's a whole different thing entirely. And uh, I would suggest that you uh, go check out your nearest 
Orthodox Christian cathedral or mosque or temple or what have you. So what about schedule? Now transitioning to actual time, if we can account for all of the three-dimensional perspective of time, i.e. we can account for all the hours in the week, more importantly all the minutes, then we can be present. And if we can be present, then nothing's going to escape into some void. Nothing's going to escape into the state of nothingness. I've started to schedule everything in 15 minute blocks because an hour, and I, I mentioned this on my Instagram as well, gymnasts, Olympic level gymnasts were asked some of their greatest methods to success and the one that stood out most to me was that one of these gymnasts would keep track of all of his minutes. If he could keep track of all of his minutes, he could get everything done. If he could get everything done, he could measure in some way his growth and not necessarily his growth but measure his practice towards growth and to be in control of one's minutes means that you know exactly what it is that you're supposed to be doing at that point so you know exactly what it is that you need to be present in anyone can be present at 15 minutes and if you're present your whole being is engaged your mind your eyes, all of your senses, your body, your spirit, and that has a compounding effect towards growth and towards progress. Presence is a key towards transformation as well. Now, shifting gears towards the music that you're hearing in the background once again. A year ago, I was living in Oakland still, I mean, I'm back in Oakland again, but I was living in a different part of Oakland then, and while working minimum wage and working a security job, I was also delivering food on my bike for DoorDash. And Trent Reznor had sent out in his newsletter that someone had filmed a fantastic recording of one of the concerts from Nine Inch Nails is Cold and Black and Infinite Tour, which is the tour for these three EPs that I mentioned before. And he did it in a very shaky cam, grainy style that really fit the album. And I give it a watch. Uh, Trent Reznor recommended that people watch it. You know, most people would say, you know, take this down. But he's saying, no, this is great. You know, it's a great footage of the, the concert. Check it out. I mean, the whole concert's great, but when I got to God Break Down the Door, they did this, God Break Down the Door is, or really rather Bad Witch, the first album in 20 years that Trent Reznor even thought about using a saxophone, let alone using the saxophone. So he got proficient on the saxophone once again, as he hadn't been for two decades. And he put that saxophone recording in several of the tracks. Uh, Ahead of ourselves, or actually, no, play the goddamn part and God break down the door. And as well as the one you're listening to now, over and out. And God break down the door, there's a saxophone breakdown. However, when performing it in this concert, it was extended. And 
That gave me an extra layer to meditate further upon the music. I don't know what Trent Reznor's tapping into, but he's tapping into something. And... It sent me to a place that felt like this sort of detachment from time itself. So, there's a dimension beyond time, the fifth dimension as many people are calling it. This might be what it feels like. And I had heard the words Fibonacci spiral before, but I was starting to meditate to this and I started to see a Fibonacci spiral, so another piece of sacred geometry emerged in this meditation. And it occurred to me, this compounding effect of having everything in alignment, your thoughts, your words, your actions. If you take a look at the Fibonacci spiral, I suggest you pause the podcast and look up an image of it. You will see the squares that double in size over and over and over again, infinitely. And you will see the curved line that sort of dances within it. If I were to explain what I'm visualizing in terms of transformation, To borrow a phrase that is the title of this podcast of another album that I didn't necessarily meditate on, but I listen to quite frequently as it's incredibly heavy. An album called Time and Space by a hardcore punk band called Turnstile. Turnstile came out with this album (coughs) three years ago around the same time that I was meditating upon the poem called Blood and Rain that started all of this. And the cover has pyramids, which you know gave a little cause for alarm because it's always it's kind of esoterica. But it kind of made sense to me over time. The last track is the title track, Time and Space. And the first words that are just spoken in this almost robotic voice before the guitar comes crashing in. Ironically, that came out robotic, and I did not intend it to. Once again, they say, We will dilute the distinction between time and space. And it started to come full circle. There are pyramids on the cover of the album, and that raised some alarm for me, obviously. But it certainly makes sense. They're having this ancient civilization, the most iconic one, the Egyptians. And the ancient Egyptians had this understanding of the power of the pineal gland that decalcified and grown to its fullest potential. That the pineal gland can not only secrete melatonin and serotonin, can actually receive information, it can receive consciousness. It can connect to the fourth dimension of time. It can connect to the fifth dimension beyond. Now, this is around, I mean, this, this album came out in February of 2018. I listened to it religiously 
throughout the year, including going to a concert in San Francisco in April of that year, and I listened to it religiously upon my moving to New York into December into that tragedy that I mentioned before. Four tragedies, my mentor being diagnosed with stage four brain cancer, uh, my back injury, my spiritual injury, and another another tragedy that I will not disclose. And around this time that all these injuries happen, or these tragedies happen rather, is was the winter solstice of 2018, December 21st. And I had come into contact with a bunch of people who believed in this transition of the fifth dimension. This transition of global consciousness from the third to the fifth dimension, rather, this ascension. I don't know if I call it fifth dimension. My gut says yes, but I always proceed with a bit of caution and try to have my feet on the ground as much as possible. But this transition of the fifth dimension, apparently, apparently the jump in consciousness that happened on the winter solstice was the most painful, was the most erratic, it's the biggest scariest jump from the third dimension to the fifth dimension of consciousness. And these people who I came into contact with claimed that if you would hang on to the ways of, of three-dimensional plane in terms of consciousness, you would receive immense pain. And immense pain I did receive indeed. Several months later, when I meditated upon the music that you're still listening to now and saw the infinity symbol, I started to get a grasp on this dilution between time and space. If we are able to decalcify our pineal gland, if we're able to strengthen it, if we are able to tap in to the thoughts of the fourth dimension and the fifth dimension. If we're able to receive these thoughts, if we're able to visualize the actual time of our highest, greatest self, the timeline of our highest, greatest self, this point in time that, of course, is not linear, then we can transform. We can lead transformation accordingly. If we prime our thoughts with this change, with this connection to this time that we can visualize that truly does exist because time is not linear. We can prime the matrix of our bodies to change. We can fully transform into our highest greatest self, which has a far greater compounding effect than any compounding effect that I've spoken of thus far. That compounding effect is being the highest, greatest self, not only for the self, but for others. So you may be of service to others. So what do you do? You visualize that. You release. You connect. You meditate, you pray to be in a higher state of consciousness that is now available as the world makes this transition. We can dilute the distinction between time and space. 
because time is not linear. And if we receive this information from this true spot in time, the time's true essence from its home dimension, and connect with it and embody it, then we are manifesting in this three-dimensional space, this time in which we are our highest, greatest self. We are truly diluting the distinction between time and space. So dilute the distinction between time and space for that very purpose. I know I'm not a madman. For those of you who are listening, I think you know that. And for those of you who have been listening, I know that I thank you. And for those of you who have been listening and have the jury out, that's that's fair. This is very intense stuff. But what do you have to lose? So visualize that highest, greatest self. Fill your mind with nothing but thoughts of that. Speak words that are only in alignment with that. Act only in alignment with that. And you will transform far quicker within our three-dimensional understanding of time than we could possibly imagine. There are people who have done it before, and we all must be the next. So with that, good night and transform. Thank you.